please, the first chapter of Luke, the good news according to Luke. And we're going to read beginning at verse 26 in just a moment. Today I want to tell the Christmas story. And I hope you don't have lunch plans because this is a long, long story. Let's begin with verse 26 in Luke chapter 1. And then when we finish, we're going to read through verse 38, and then we'll, we'll skip down to verse 54. So, Luke 1, 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me according to your word. Then the angel left her. And Mary began to sing, and let's skip down to verse 54. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. Christmas is a long story. The first words of Christmas are not in Matthew and they're not in Luke. The first words of Christmas are in the book of Genesis. In the beginning are the first three words of the Christmas story. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And when God had finished with the, with the sun and the stars and the moon and the animals and the plants, he created humans. He breathed life into these we know as Adam and Eve. He created them in his own image, which does not mean they were little gods. It means they, were, they bore the imprint, the image of the creator, including a bit of his beauty. And life was good. Relationships were good this way and this way. And, and where they lived was a pure and pristine world we know as Eden. But then, uh, then Adam and Eve crossed the only line God had drawn for them, they rebelled in a word, they sinned, and everything changed. And in that cataclysmic moment, evil and sin and death and pain came rushing into this pure and pristine world where it never was in, all those things never were intended to be. So that from that moment, every human baby would be born into an imperfect world with an overwhelming tendency to do the wrong thing. And God had a mess on his hands. Not a mess that he could not have foreseen, but a mess nonetheless. There were some people who did well, Enoch, Noah, and others perhaps, but, but not many. And we're only six chapters into the Bible when 
we hear what I think is a weighty, weighty statement. The Bible says in Genesis 6 that God's heart was grieved and he wondered if he should have created humans. What a weighty statement. But God is not one to give up. So he decided to call out a people who would, who would model what it is to love him and to honor him and obey him. He, he began in what is now, we call it southern, somewhere around southern Turkey with a well-to-do farmer named Abraham. And he said to Abraham, I, wanna, I want you to leave your place and go to a place I will show you. And, and that place, he, Canaan, excuse me, Abraham knew as Canaan. We call it the promised land or the holy land since the second century uh, AD. It's been called Palestine. You've heard a lot about that land, of course, in the news. And when Abraham and Sarah were in their ripe old ages, they had a little boy named Isaac and the nation of Israel was born. And God's intent was a people, people who would model, again, what it is to know God and love God. They would be his bell cows. You know what a bell cow is, right? Uh, And a, a cattle farmer will figure out which is the lead cow and put a bell around the cow's neck. And then all he's got to do is get that one cow headed in the right direction and the other cows will follow. So now we talk of a a person or an organization that is of influence, and we say they are the bell cows. So the nation of Israel would be God's bell cows. They would love God and worship God and honor God, and people would see that, and they would follow the nation of Israel. In in Genesis 12, when God called Abraham, one of the most important verses in all the Bible, God said, I will make of you a great nation, and all the nations of the world will be blessed through you. God's intent was not just to have a people, but to have people through whom he would bless the entire world. But the people of Israel were people like you and me, and so their relationship with Jehovah, with God, was kind of on again, off again, hot and cold, like a bit of a roller coaster up and down, a bit like my relationship with God, maybe yours. And so seven centuries B.C., Micah and Isaiah, prophets inspired by God, began to speak of a an extension, a fulfillment of this plan, a new chapter in the story. God would deal with the world now, not just through a nation, but through an individual, a Messiah, a deliverer. It wasn't plan B, it was the fulfillment of plan A, and this is really important that we know. It's not like God was scrapping the original plan. It's not like God said, well, you know, that Israel thing didn't work, I'll do something different. It wasn't that at all. This is the the fulfillment through a Messiah that would come from that nation. So when the Messiah came on a mountainside overlooking Galilee in his Sermon on the Mount, he said, do not think I came to abolish the law and the prophets, meaning the Old Testament. Don't think I came to abolish the Hebrew scriptures, but to fulfill them. Maybe this will help you understand that. Some years ago, we were living in Richmond. Our kids were still home. And uh, this was one of those nights when we had one kid going here and one kid going there. So Carrie and I had to split up. Our daughter, Brennan, was going to a cheerleading thing at her high school, at her high school, and Grant, our youngest, was going to a basketball game at Matoaka High School, which is out in, it's a rural school in Chesterfield County, a long way from where we were. Well, uh, I, I was going with Brennan, so she and I went to Outback Steakhouse to eat before the, the cheerleading thing. And while we were eating, I got a call uh, from Carrie. And she said, uh, 
we're lost. She and her friend, uh, another mom, had gone, headed to Matoaka High School, and she said, uh, I'm lost. How do I get to Matoaka High School? I said, honey, I don't know where you are. I don't know how to tell you how to get there. Ask somebody. There's nobody out here, she said. And she said, the, the directions ended, and, and here we are. So here's the deal. So this, does anybody remember paper maps back when you unfolded paper maps? Yeah. Well, after paper maps, there was this wonderful invention called MapQuest. And so you could go online and, and you could go to the website. You could you type in your, your address, your home address, and then the destination, and it would tell you step-by-step directions how to get there. Being the good husband that I am, I went on MapQuest and I typed in 2461 Swanhurst Drive, our home address, and then I typed in the, the address to Matoaka High School and I, I hit print and bzz, here came the page right out there and I gave them to Carrie and I headed to Outback Steakhouse and she and her friend headed to Matoaka High School and so I'm at Outback when I get a call that says the directions ended and I'm in the middle of nowhere. Well, when we got, she finally got there about half time. And um, then when she finally got home, um, she was not happy about her experience. And, <laughs> and it got worse when we realized what had happened. So remember MapQuest prints out, uh, the, prints out the pages. Well, uh, I didn't realize it, but there were two pages of directions. And I only had one piece of paper in the printer. So I hit print, here it came. I had, so days later, I went in to print something. I didn't have any paper. I put paper in the tray and here came page two of those, uh, those instructions, the directions. See, page two would have gotten her to the final destination, right? But this is important. Page two did not abolish or nullify page one. Page one is still right and good and appropriate. It just was not the completion. Page two didn't wipe away page one. Neither does the story of the Messiah wipe out the story of the New Testament. We do ourselves a disservice when we, when we just skim through or skip through the the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament, the stories are rich and the truths are profound and that's part of our story. Well, so the, so the story begins now, or continues I should say, with the Messiah. And this is where the Christian faith gets really hard for some people. God is one and yet He is Trinity. He is Father, Son, and Spirit. So, so God decides that the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, will become flesh in the person of Jesus. The great I am would become the tiny, who's he? The infinite one would become the, the infant one. The one who was above it all would become a part of it all. And we call that the incarnation, the enfleshment of God. So the angels came and, angel came and spoke to Mary. We read that a moment ago. The angel showed up and scared Mary, and, the, and um, the angel said, don't be afraid. The angels had an uncanny 
knack in the Christmas story for showing up and scaring the pajamas off people and then saying, oh, don't be afraid. They did it to the shepherds too, remember? So don't be afraid, Mary, but you're going to have a child. Mary responded, I don't think it's I don't think it works like this. And she must have whispered this part when she said, you know, I have never been with a man. No worries, the angel said. God is going to perform a miracle. And Mary began to sing a song she made up right there on the spot. We call it the Magnificat, the Song of Mary. She sang about how blessed she is and how that people would always call her blessed. And then, and then she said what I read a moment ago. God has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. You see, Mary understood that this story, that this baby she would birth was rooted in something that it, a call 2,000 years old to Abraham. I told you Christmas is a long story. Joseph was Mary's betrothed, her fiance. And by law, Mary could have had, Joseph could have had Mary stoned for the mere appearance of impropriety. So an angel went to Joseph too and said, Joseph, uh, Mary, a miracle has happened in the body of this teenage betrothed of yours, Mary, and she's going to have a son and you will call his name Jesus. So then they spent the next nine months, Mary and Joseph, preparing for a baby. About nine months after the announcement of the angel came an announcement from the emperor that said everybody, all men, would have to go to their homelands, the lands of their ancestors, to be counted in a census. So Mary is great with child and had to make that arduous journey from Nazareth, Nazareth about four days south to Bethlehem, and they barely made it. And because there was no room anywhere else, this, this baby was born uh, in a stable. And the first visitors to the baby would have seen a baby that appeared to be just like other babies, crying, nursing, Wrapped in swaddling clothes, the first century answer to diapers, and frankly doing what babies do in swaddling clothes, as fully human as if he were not God, and as fully God as if he were not human. The God-man, Jesus, the Christ, and it's not a coincidence that the first people invited to see him were shepherds. For they were outcasts, meaning that the invitation from the very beginning uh, would be to all of us. It's not a coincidence either that they were watching sheep. Bethlehem was just five miles from the temple in Jerusalem. And so the industry around Bethlehem was to raise sheep that would be led to sacrifice in the temple. So these shepherds are watching sheep that probably will end up in the temple as sacrifices 
And Isaiah had written seven centuries earlier that this baby boy would be led like a sheep to the slaughter and not open his mouth. So those were the shepherds. And then there were the wise men of, you know, in Orient land. So the wise men are studying Micah. They've been studying Micah, anticipating the coming of the Messiah. And then they see this star. Now, the interesting thing to me about the star is that everybody would have seen it, but only the astronomers, these wise men who'd been studying Micah, recognized it as a sign from God, which is a wonderful reminder that that sometimes God works so subtly that if you're not looking for it, you don't see it. And what was that star after all? Matthew simply said it's a star from his worldview, his first century worldview. It was a star, but we know more about the heavens now, and we wonder what might it have been. They do a program out there at the planetarium during, the, during Christmas, several nights. They, they do that. What might it have been? Might it have been a, a nova, a new star, or a comet, or a, a conjunction, or alignment of stars? Or maybe it was just a, a supernatural light, the You know, all history began with God saying, let there be light, and there was light. So maybe it was just a supernatural light. But these these astronomers who'd been anticipating the birth of the Messiah saw that light, and, and they made their way to a little town called Bethlehem. One of the most interesting things to me about the Christmas story is not mentioned in the Christmas story, but it's that overlooking Bethlehem, there was this huge mountain built by Herod, the insecure, powerful king Herod. Some of us were there in May. Herod wanted his mountain to be so high, it wasn't high enough, so he literally had slaves go and cut off the top of a nearby mountain and bring dirt over and build his mountain up higher. And he built this this gaudy, grandiose, uh, pretentious palace overlooking that little town of Bethlehem. So, so Herod could have stood in that gaudy, grandiose, pompous, pretentious palace and looked down his pompous, pretentious nose at that simple little village down there, which is why it's so interesting to me that when these astronomers from Orient land looking for the Messiah passed through Jerusalem and asked at the palace where they might find the king of the Jews that had been born, Herod was so insecure and so frightened that he had all those boys in that little, the baby boys in that little town of Bethlehem killed and the weeping of the mothers and the daddies could be heard for miles around. But Jesus and Mary and Joseph already had begun their brief sojourn into Egypt. So the boy grew. We don't know much about his early years. We know that when he was about 30, he went public with his mission and his ministry. And he lived and loved And he taught truth, and he healed hurts like nobody ever had, and nobody ever has. And then after about three years, he was arrested for being a religious rabble-rouser. 
And after a, a shameful beating and a sham of a trial, he was sentenced to death by Pilate. And on a Friday afternoon, a mere five miles from the place of his birth, outside the walls of old Jerusalem, the Roman soldiers nailed the Lord Jesus uh, to a cross, and he, he went without protest, only, only with forgiveness on his lips. And he suffered uh, the excruciating, and some of you have heard me say before that they had to invent a word for the Roman crucifixion, excruciating, meaning from the cross, like they didn't have a word for that pain. And worse than that, he suffered the hell of our sins, and so he's, he's nailed to a cross where he dies somehow mysteriously. 1 Peter 2.24 says he took upon himself our sins in his body on the tree. And when he had done, when he had done all he could do, he bowed his head and he said, it is finished. And he died. And Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus took his lifeless, now increasingly cold and clammy body from the cross and they laid him in Joseph's tomb for he had none of his own. And that was that. Except it wasn't. On Sunday morning, Jesus' heart started as if by a defibrillator. His lungs filled with breath. His eyelids sprang open. And Jesus sat up as alive as you and I are. And 40 days later, he ascended or left the earth to return to the Father. And the angels said, why are you standing here looking up? One day he's coming back just like he left. So that's why he is the one whose birth we celebrate and whose coming we anticipate. See, I told you, Christmas is a long story. And maybe the best part about Christmas is that the story is still being written. And you get to be part of that story. At the beginning of 2023, some of you were around, remember that I, I did a series, The 12 Steps for Us All, and I did a deep dive into literature about recovery, and I, I, I made a lot of friends in the recovery community, learned a lot from people. And I, I read the story of a young lady who told of a, a painful, dysfunctional childhood and gave a long list of her own bad past choices and then said, God has written me into his story of redemption. Pain and regret were not the end of her story. God has written me into his story of redemption. You know, during the Christmas tree, Dennis has been singing and, and playing and people have loved it. It's not because he sings and plays all that well because he's just kind of, you know, average singer and player. <laughs> but the reason they've loved his story is because it, God wrote Dennis, didn't he, buddy, into the, his story of redemption. And he wrote you and me 
What an amazing thing that we get to be part of the story. Because everybody is in need of grace. Nobody has a corner on that market. We all are in need of redemption. And so what we, what we do is we trust our lives for here and forever to, to the Lord Jesus who's, who's born fully God and fully man, took upon himself our sins and was raised from the dead and, and the story goes on. So I invite you into that story. It's a matter of placing your hope, your trust, your faith for here and forever in the Lord Jesus to begin to follow him, to love him, to, to obey him and to begin that process whereby the beauty of God inside you is, is slowly revealed as God removes layer upon layer of bad decisions. And I invite you into that story. 148 is our hymn, and we're going to be standing down here waiting on you to come. We anticipate that somebody will to be part of our church family, to go public with your faith in Jesus. Uh, we, we sing for you and wait for you. Let's stand, please, as we sing. <laughs>